Welcome to the DMF. I am your host, Justin Yachts, and today is part three of my interview with Adam Franklin. He is the creative director, as well as the president of Creative Chops Studios, and he has also worked on the trailers for Iron Man 2 in the motion graphics department. Enjoy. So that's interesting. So um, I also saw, um, I saw your Doritos commercial. Oh, yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, so I moved out. Uh, well, there's a big space there, but that's, yeah. So I shifted away from uh, doing feature film marketing and creative mm -hmm. advertising. And like I said, the whole reason I moved to Los Angeles in my mind was I wanted to write and direct. I really just wanted to tell stories. And I felt like I was doing that on a good level for a while with the motion graphics and getting to just learn so much in the industry and things like that. But for me personally, it wasn't, fulfilling enough for kind of what my dream was and the whole reason I was kind of working towards all this stuff. So I can track back to that later, but the, so I made a shift and when I made the shift, I decided with a ragtag group of buddies of mine that we would start uh, <laughs> just seeing what we could actually produce and come up with. I've always loved comedy. And so we ended up um, signing up back then. It was a much bigger thing than I think it is now. But they had these uh, competitions where they would crowdsource, and this was actually pretty new at the time, I think, and they would crowdsource media for people. And it was an easy way for the marketing companies to get inexpensive media in comparison to going to a you know, big house to do it or a big production yeah. company. And, or at least get good ideas that then they could translate back into a big production. So that's how I kind of started out. One of the main ones I would use is Pop Tent. Um, that was mm -hmm. kind of big at the time for that. Uh, since then, they went under. <laughs> That's a theme in my life. So many places I've worked at or worked for have gone under. Uh, but Pop Tent had some great opportunities there, too, and uh, ended up doing some commercials with them. But then we knew, like, the king of this whole crowdsourcing thing was the Doritos commercial. We were like, man, if we can, you know, do this Doritos commercial and somehow make it onto the Super Bowl, like, the trajectory mm -hmm. is set, right? And we came up with the idea and threw together a budget and uh yeah we shot the first one and put it out there and found out that we made the top 20 which out of mm -hmm. tens of thousands of submissions granted a lot of those were not great submissions but out of that many that was enough <laughs> to like get me fired yeah. up and go okay maybe i do have a knack at this short form storytelling and being able to get in and out and because there's so much i learned across that that process with it but so we did it a second year and that year came in the top 20 as well but we never cracked that top three that actually got to play on the super bowl um mm -hmm. at the time but those are some of my favorite memories of being on set because that's a culture in los angeles that i love which is everyone kind of does favors for everyone as long as this isn't something that's generating income for real kind of thing. And just the, uh, <laughs> the, the people that you get to work with you, I would always crew out people who knew what they were doing at like the, the main positions. And then okay. you fill the PAs with your buddies and you end up having this just blast on set. And um, one of those sets, yeah. we had like over 30 people and um, yeah, we, we had a really good time doing those uh, Dorito commercials uh, back then. Talk a little bit about directing. How you, how did you like that? Oh, it was everything I ever wanted. Uh, and it still is whenever I get the chance to do it. And that's something I want to pursue a little bit more in the future. Um, even though the, the game has changed so much in the past 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. But for me, directing 
boils down to being able to be a people person, loving how to bring together a, a group of people in a specific goal and mindset, and then being able to utilize each person and their skills, and then also their ideas while still keeping the train on track. And, yeah. and just what you start with in pre-production, what you think the vision, I won't say vision, what you think the final product is going to be in my personal experience never is. And that's the joy of it is the journey through it, getting on set and getting to be with all these different actors and crew and getting to hear just different ideas and personalities. And then what this actor does and brings, you know, breathes life into this stuff that you wrote down and you never yeah. thought it would go that way, but it was so much better when you get back in the cut and you can see it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing for director is you just, you're just a puppet master of tone and vision. Yeah. You, you can stick with tone vision and you can make your day. Um, then I think those are the the basics that you have to really focus in on as a director and don't try to overcook it. That's, that's a big one for me because you, you get in the way of where the creative can actually go. If you think you have all the answers. What do, what do you mean by like overcooking? Sure. So lots of different directors have different approaches and you know, the, whether you go from feature film, everything I've done thus far is all short, short form. Uh, eventually one day, maybe feature. Um, but right now it's all short form. But when I say overcook it, I mean, I never think you can overcook too much in pre-production. Pre-production is where, you know, however you get there, having all your ducks in a row as best you can in pre-production can't overcook there. But I think on the day of, on the, on, on set, that's where if you, spend too much time locked into the specific vision that you had and it's not happening for whatever reason if you fight against the flow or if you do a hundred takes and it's still not happening or whatever it is a you're burning daylight you're losing your day but on top of that you are not even allowing yourself to see where the actual creative can go and it's it's a fluid thing it's not so jagged where it has to be these things. Now you can have your high points. You can have the, you can have your ones that you cannot let go of in production. You have to do that in post if it doesn't work, but in yeah. production, you can have those couple of things where you go, we have to get this. But outside of that, a lot of that is if you've done your legwork with pre-production, you just let that thing flow. You see what other people bring to it. You see how the day goes. And, and that's, I mean, it's just this amazing thing to be able to navigate a story and to navigate storytelling and then to see what works, what broke, what went crazy. There's always something that was wrong, that kind of thing. And then when you get into post, how can we fix it and what you do to fix it? Or when you get into post and the edit and you go, wow, I didn't think about this. We can move that scene here and this scene here and it makes so much more sense. Yeah. And, you know, so just, I love the creative process. I absolutely adore everything about it from screenwriting all the way through post-production. And um, just because it's so malleable and it's so variable. And mm. that's the excitement behind it. If it was, and I was, I was always so much better at language than math and math for me, there were just way too many rules. It was way too, mm. you know, set up. Whereas yeah. that's what I love about filmmaking and um, video production, things like that is because, you know, the sky's the limit with where this thing can go, yeah. but you have to and, choose a tone and stick with the tone. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point. I mean, like if you're outside, you're now you're dealing with, you know, God or whatever deity you believe in that uh, is 
is affecting the climate, you know, you know, you, you didn't realize that like, Oh, it's going to be overcast that day. I right. mean, you can get the weather reports, but it's never 100% accurate. Like, like right now it's like overcast <laughs> it's making it seem like I'm in a cave or something, you know, it's like, what, what are you going to do? We cut. That's it. We'll come <laughs> back when the sun is on a shine. It's like, no, you gotta, you gotta deal with the elements as best you can. And that's why I think it's, you got to think on the fly, you know, like you said, you want to keep the, the vision as much as possible, but you also got to be open to like, you end up shooting like uh what, what is it? Stanley Kubrick shot, uh, <laughs> Harvey Keitel walking through a doorway, like, Oh 70, yeah. 70 times. And like, like by like the 70th day, he just walked off set and like, I'm not, yes. like, this is, this is embarrassing. There's nobody was telling them why we're doing this. They just kept doing take after take. And it's like, you know, maybe you should let me know, like, is, am I doing something wrong? You know, <laughs> absolutely. You want, absolutely. you want me to just like well, saunter in here? I mean, like, no, it's like, yeah, just keep going. <laughs> just, do, <laughs> just keep doing 70 takes. So you're just like, really? 70 yeah. takes? On, on, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's, yeah. I mean, I think that really comes down to one of the hardest clutch points as a director is you have to be detail oriented. Because yeah. story has to work, story has to make sense, all these things, right? And characters have to, there has to be the understanding of why and the motivations and all of that kind of stuff. So you have to stick with details. But at the same time, if you are such a stickler for the details, I think that's when you miss the tone and you miss the vision because yeah. it goes, well, I checked off this checklist of A, B, C, and D. Yeah, but we totally you know, skewed off and missed the entire reason for the entire story yeah. and, and as a whole. Right. So it is, we got that, we got that shot. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, the rest of the movie is not good. Right. <laughs> it's like, so we've got one thing. Uh, it was supposed to be five minutes. Uh, we cut it down to one. Exactly. <laughs> one minute, exactly. One minute. One minute. We got a trailer. <laughs> but we got a great trailer out of it guys that's right <laughs> you know but but it's true yeah you gotta you gotta be open and it's just it's a hard thing that's something i wanted to ask you about like did you were there were there books you read like what what did you feed off of how did you did you just go off of um your experience with with computer graphics how did you how did you go yeah. into that world yeah so i knew early on that i wanted to direct so even in school when i was doing 3d animation I was buying mm -hmm. books, you know, like the, your normal, you know, directing for dummies. No, I'm just kidding. But like intro to directing <laughs> those kinds of yeah. books so that I could understand what I'm seeing on screen and why I'm seeing that. So it's you know, shot angles, lighting choices, all these things. I know DPs do a ton of, but as a director, you have to understand. Yeah. You just need to the yeah, basics. You can't just be like, uh, yeah, that looks good. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And they, they realize, wait a minute, that DP wasn't very good. <laughs> I just let him do everything. I want yeah. my money back. <laughs> exactly. I mean, one of the things that um, separated Pixar was even though everything was computer generated, they treated it like you were still looking at a camera. Mm -hmm. So all the shots would be like if you were filming it with a camera. So it has yep. this different feel to it. Whereas a lot of people would do with animation and just be like, oh, we'll just put the camera wherever. But it's like, you know. By putting it, putting the camera where it would be if you were shooting it, it gives it this, this grounded approach feel like, oh, it's, it's a movie, but it's animated. Right. You know? Absolutely. And actually, it's funny you said that because that was because back then having interchangeable lenses and having a camera that could do that or whatever, 
I had no exposure to that. Like that was not, you know, what I was able to do, but I was learning Maya. Maya is the main computer program mm. I used back then for 3D animation. And in Maya, you can dial up a 24 millimeter, 35 millimeter, 50, and then you can really see what that ends up doing to the framing yeah. and composition. So I was using that as I was reading these books and not being able yeah. to do it in the physical world, but I was doing it in the 3D world to Which actually was, yeah. get a good the idea. Of, yep. I saw that you also wrote a screenplay, uh, mm-hmm. Vandals. Talk talk about talk about writing sc- Vandals. Okay. So Vandals was probably my third or fourth. Uh, what I ended up doing was I decided that, and I just had ideas and a certain angle on life that I knew was very unique to my situation of where I grew up and, you know, how I came to be who I was and all of those types of things. And so as a storyteller, I was, I wanted to definitely try my hand at it. So I, uh, that was probably my fourth screenplay at the time. And that one I put into a couple of film festivals and actually won best screenplay at uh, Glendale film festival. I forget what year that was. Um, mm. But that one actually had some legs. It got shopped around uh, to different places, different uh, production studios in Hollywood, and at least made it past the first set of readers and mm. uh, had some momentum behind it. But as anybody who has tried to do screenplays professionally will let you know, and this was part of me in the learning part of it, was when you get past that first and they're asking for extra stuff, you think, oh, this is it. It's getting greenlit, you know, and then you realize very quickly that, no, nah, no, nah, it's that is such a small, tiny margin. Yeah and chance. Um, but my hope is, is to take something like vandals, which I'd probably have to rewrite it for this day and age. Cause I'm sure some of my comedy back then probably would not fly, you know, early 2000, I mean, mid 2000 comedies versus 2023. Talk a little bit about the writing process of, sure. of that. Okay. So after I had done three or four uh, screenplays before then I had a good feeling and understanding of, for my writing style, where I fizzle out or where I definitely need to fix things. And instead of going back on these other screenplays and really reworking them and revising them outside of what I did at the time, I decided I just want to keep moving forward because I think that's how you become a better writer. You sharpen your craft and you also have a much better idea in the outline for me personally of where are the problem areas. So for me, first act is easy. Um, And then second act and the back end of the second act is when things really can slow down and and fall apart you know uh and then the the third act wrapping it up usually have an ending so to me it's that second act that is making it's like getting that yeah it's getting that to that second yeah (laughs) that can be that that's that's part of where a movie will just die and absolutely i mean sometimes they can bring it home with something really great at the end but sometimes that second act is just a slog through and you're just like oh absolutely absolutely so for me (laughs) (laughs) this this is great i love what you just did but uh i'm tired (laughs) not needed at this point not an hour and a half yet um so for me with uh for screenwriting uh i would say that my main guide personally the one i drew closest to and i've read lots of different screenwriting books and theories and ideas is uh save the cat i forget who that's by that's a great that's for me that one just made the most sense and laid it out in a way that i go okay i get the formula and i see how formulaic things are and the inciting incident and all these different parts and so i can lay that roadmap out and then working within that 
that's where I can really, you know, do character exploration and things like that. So, uh, with vandals, it's a straight up comedy and it was mm. a, uh, I'm not going to give a good log line. I haven't pitched it in you know 10 years, <laughs> but in, in general vandals is the idea of a small town sheriff who mm. gets in major trouble and loses his job because of the recent rash of vandalism that's happening throughout the small town country community. And after he loses his job, he realizes it's a bunch of kids or high schoolers in the uh, area and a new big time sheriff comes in, takes over and there's background behind that. But in general, this sheriff ends up joining the vandals in vandalism to get his job back. So that's the, uh, that's the setup in the comedy for it. So uh, it, it gets pretty zany, it gets pretty, pretty crazy. Um, some big set pieces in there. Uh, robbing, but, uh, his, robbing his own. Uh, yeah, let's burn down the sheriff's office. Yeah, let's go do it. That's like, right. Yeah, that's right. get that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would say the writing of it, it probably took me probably two weeks for the first draft. And then mm. I really did hone that one in for about a month and would hone in. The hardest part for me with screenwriting is that it's so big on a feature. And if you break this one part, you know, you're going to break three parts in different areas and having to yeah. go back and fix those and pacing and all that kind of stuff. So it's just this crazy puzzle and, you know, just tapestry that yeah. is so difficult. And that's what I love about it is because yeah. that's why it's so hard to have a good screenplay and yeah. you can get lost in the weeds in this part and then you totally forget this part. And so, um, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you'll have that one critic there and everything. Why didn't you come back to that part in the script at the beginning? I didn't see that. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Give yourself a medal <laughs> for that. You notice something we didn't notice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh um, band- yeah, go ahead, sir. When, when when you would when you would write, did you have like a, a process of how you would do it? Like like, did you need to? How would you set it up? Like, did, do you need to be alone? Oh, I got gotcha. you. Like, like yeah, like yeah, yeah. I would say early on, I liked being alone to be able to use physical, you know, court board or whatever to lay out yeah. the actual outline and to to shuffle doing the whole index cards for the scenes, so yeah. that I could actually have a physical place where I could move things around and see what works and then be able to cut quickly. And because it's so much easier than going and falling in love with this beautiful scene that you wrote so well. And the jokes are just hitting and punching and, you know, all this stuff. And then you realize you didn't even need that scene and it doesn't work. And it just makes a mess of the whole thing. Right. So once again, pre-production to me, the pre part of script writing is so massive because it makes the actual writing of the script so much faster when you have a roadmap that you have laid out over lots of time instead of going, well, we'll get there. I don't know how, and I'll come up with that, yeah. you know? And I did that on my first couple and then yeah. realized, wow. And this then, makes it and so then much you're easier. like, yeah, it's like, wait a minute. And I forgot character development. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We, oh, we yeah. got, we got the point B. We just didn't have anything <laughs> interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But one of my favorite things back then, cause I was always cramped in an office space, uh, whether it be windowed office or cubicle or whatever yeah. over all those years. Uh, one of my favorite things to do was to walk in downtown Burbank and, uh, mm-hmm. I would just walk down to this like middle Eastern cafe and sit outside and enjoy yeah. just, you know, I wouldn't say it was crowded. So I wouldn't say I do more of the Starbucks or. Yeah. You don't want to go to Starbucks. Make a, I'm writing my, 
I'm writing my right. screenplay. Right. No one has ever done this. But you see those people, they're just like, 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 like yeah. discovered fire. It's like, yeah, you and 15 other people have discovered right. fire. Right. I didn't feel like becoming a statistic there. So I would find a local, uh, <laughs> a local cafe place, uh, lunch spot. And I would sit out there for hours and just crank. And, uh, yeah. and then I wouldn't let myself go beyond. I know a lot of people say, you know, push through writer's block, that kind of stuff. But for me personally, my, the way I go is I can do a huge dump of all this information and ideas and things, get it out. But then yeah. when I feel like I've exhausted that in that, in that moment or in that time frame, walk away, do something else, um, change modes completely. And it's amazing how the right answers will find their way into your brain over, uh, over time, you know? Yeah. I thought you were going to tell me that, you know, when you were working in an office space, you were watching office space. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and stealing the, uh, the computer so you could, you know, beat them up. <laughs> that's right. Definitely one of my all time favorite comedies and office space. I watch every Labor Day weekend. Uh, that it's, has been, it's such a great years. film. Yep. And it like, I mean, Mike judge, I mean, he did Beavis and Butthead, King of the Hill. I mean, all of them, they just have this, this ground of reality of like, yeah, that's kind of, you know, Absolutely. that's kind of what it's like, you know, you know, he's got that. <laughs> I, I love listening to what is it? The guy that played Lumberg or whatever talked about it. He said like, when he's reading the script, he's like, I just don't think this guy has much more going on than this. <laughs> like, <Yeah. there's, laughs> like he's just that one to two if people are at a three. He's still at two. <laughs> right. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Mike judge is an amazing, amazing, uh, filmmaker that okay. is so good at uh at taking the uh ridiculousness in reality and yeah. also making a caricature of personalities and people where it's so easy for us to relate yeah. and go yeah oh yeah i work with that guy yeah. or yeah i know this guy yeah. he's a little bold but yeah i know that guy look look looking up uh money laundering in the uh dictionary and that's yes. <laughs> And they have the guy that comes in and he's like, yeah, I work there. And now I'm selling money. And they're like, wait a minute. You're not going to tell anybody about this. Right. <laughs> it's about <laughs> it's like Atlanta 30 Jones, screens. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And like, you can see him in his head thinking, well, that depends. Yep. <laughs> How much are you going to spend right now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they have like a flashback to the, or they, or they have like a, like he has a dream or whatever of him getting a prison sentence. Right. And the guy, the guy is like trying to pronounce the, the Indian guy's name. Yeah. He can't he, uh, he, he, even, even in his dream, he still can't pronounce his name. It's so yep. great. It's great but yeah, that's so another great. one where it's like, you know, somebody be like offended, you know, let's talk a little bit about. So you created Creative Chop Studio. Is that mm -hmm. am I saying it correctly? Yes. Creative Chop Studio. Creative yep. Chop Studio. How, how did that come about? Did you do that still in L.A. or? Yes. Yep. Okay. So that was in LA. So honestly, Creative Chops was just my avatar on uh, Twitter way back in the day. And uh, when I realized that I wanted to start my own production company, we started going through all different ideas and naming and things like that and just trying to see what resonated. <clears throat> and it was amazing that after a while of doing a lot more of the, the marketing side of things, I realized Creative Chops actually, you know, was a, was a great representation of what uh, I stand for and then what the company would do, do and things like that. So that was the the main reason why Creative Chops came around, but it was totally just an avatar I came up with for my uh, my screen mm -hmm. name at some point in time. <laughs> Interesting. So yes. Yeah, so so um, how do you get back to Charlotte? Mm, really good question. Uh, 
Uh, so one thing that my wife and I decided when we moved there that we said, you know, this is a grand adventure. And if either one of us want to call it quits after a while, we can, that kind of thing. But once we have kids, all bets are off was kind of what we always had said going out there because we are both, both very lucky and we realize it that, uh, we both get along so well with each other's families and mm. both of our families are based. I'm in Virginia and her family was based in Tennessee and we just knew with the way that we were raised and all that kind of thing, all those things, once we had children that we would like to raise our children back where they know their grandparents and know their aunts and uncles and things like that. So that was the driving factor. Uh, we absolutely love Los Angeles. Like there's so much about that place um, that I absolutely miss. But what we ended up doing was once we had our first son, I had already stepped away from doing full-time motion graphics for trailers and television spots. And I'd been building this company and doing a lot more production and mainly production with this company and things were going well there. And so the way I looked at it was I, I think that I'm kind of the um, I'm a trendsetter when it comes to everybody post COVID. I like to say that about myself because I realized all the different calls that I was taking, all the different meetings I was taking, and this is back in 2014, 13, nobody ever wanted me to drive across Los Angeles and go into the offices anymore. Everybody wanted to get it done quickly on the phone. And so I started keeping a log. And after about a year, I realized every single person that I've been working with, I never saw in person. And I said, hmm, because Hollywood's very close knit. Hollywood is, you know, and also a lot of the security factors and things like that when it comes to this media and this, you know, intellectual property. But I realized, I said, I'm set up so well because I can do what I do. We can go live at a place that costs half what it does in Los Angeles. We can be closer to family and we can raise our kids the way we want to raise our kids. So that was all of the different parts that kind of came together. And in 2015, we moved uh, back to the East Coast. And the South, and we, I know you guys couldn't tell by my accent, you know, that I came from the South, uh, but we moved to the East Coast and uh, we, we locked in on Charlotte um, because Charlotte had a lot of really good things going on at the time that we locked into it when it came to feature films and network series and things like that, that were coming through the area. Um, and so that's what kind of locked us in on Charlotte versus a couple other places that we were looking to move. And then we messed it up by uh, getting rid of the tax. And then it all got taken out with a machete. And I mean, it's just uh, a horrible idea. It's like, yeah. I'm like, how did you think that this was going to work? I mean, Atlanta should have been us. Atlanta yeah. should have been Or at least, at least in that same. Yeah. We, yeah. Charlotte and Atlanta. Because we looked at Atlanta. We looked at Nashville. We looked at Richmond. Yeah. We looked at a lot of different places. And it, Charlotte was set up in such a way that... Uh, it, it absolutely could have been yeah. similar to Atlanta. It's a whole different city set yeah. up differently. But when it came to the way that business was being done with production companies, it was amazing. And for them to not, you know, just trim here and there, but to do something yeah. big and broad, because that's what politicians do. And to literally take a machete to this whole uh, film. They did uh, the same thing to Florida too. Florida yeah. had their, their whole thing. They're still trying to get it back. It's just yep. like, I see both sides of the coin on it. I get it. But at yeah. the same time, to do something so drastic seemed absolutely crazy to me. Um, but like let's I said, it's, let's it's look at back. how much it helped grow Atlanta. Absolutely. I mean, Atlanta became a, became Hollywood of the South. Yes, from, very much so. 
Yep. You got LA, we New York. We could have been right Atlanta. next to them. Yeah. We could have been like right next to them. Um, so we had the first Hunger Games. Everything. There it is. Yep. Everything's, everything's <laughs> there. It's like you. <laughs> I know. I just would like to go like, what were you? Did you think that was really going to work well? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Don't. Do I don't think, think a lot just... of thought went into that. Were, were they gonna? Oh, did you think all the filmmakers were just gonna just stay and? Oh, well, you know, we can't make movies anymore. But let's just stay here. It's like no, right. they're gonna leave. <laughs> and I think that was the toughest part too. Is that the, these production companies? <clears throat> excuse me. Um, everybody, had, everybody had worked with these production companies and producers, and this is decades in the making when it comes to the amount of time and effort and trust, and that went into building all of these, you know, through lines and all of these yeah. people being able to do this. And that's not something that you just kill off and then expect <laughs> it to come right back. Like, yeah, yeah. it just, it just was it's, zero thought, I think got put into it. So, so had that hadn't happened yet, that doesn't happen till like what, when that's mm. happened, like what, I forget the year. I think that came like right before we moved, like maybe 2014, 15. Yeah. That's kind we, of, that's, that's <clears throat> we, we had, I'd done the numbers to try to see where there would be uh potential for opening mm. kind of the stuff that I did and to see yeah. um where we could have the best fit. So I had done all that and we had come up with Charlotte uh two years before we moved. So back in like 2013. So none of that happened. I don't think around that time frame. And then once it did, I kind of said to myself, well, we've already locked in on this. And we yeah. can always make another move from the East Coast once I have a better idea of where we're going to go. But um, we've been very happy uh, living in Charlotte. And I've had to zig and zag when it comes to the type of um, things that we brought that we bring in uh, to Creative Chop Studios. But we we mainly work in um, post-production now. Uh, going to fire up the production side a bit more in the next uh, year or two is the hope. But mm. uh, for the most part, we do post-production on commercials. Okay, that about does it for part three of my interview with Adam Franklin. I want to thank him personally for coming on. I hope you enjoyed it. Please like, share, and subscribe. As always, you can find me at Justin Yachts, and consider checking out the YouTube channel. And I will see you next time on the DMF. <laughs>